Hey, hi! Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, I'm a programmer at TIFF now, and this is the other thing I do. My guest this week is Kevin Heggie, a documentary filmmaker whose work includes the 2012 feature She Said Boom, the story of Fifth Column, and the brand new Tramps, which explores the rise of the new romantics from the ashes of the punk movement. It's having a special Pride screening in Toronto this Thursday, June 22nd at the Hot Docs Ted Rogers Cinema in advance of its theatrical release next month, and Kevin will be there for a panel discussion afterwards. You should check that out. Kevin picked Madonna Truth or Dare, Alec Kashishian's 1991 documentary about Madonna's blonde ambition tour. It promised fans an unvarnished, behind-the-scenes look at the controversial show and mostly delivered, even throwing in candid moments in which Madonna is shown to be a lot cooler than Warren Beatty and Kevin Costner and definitively cooler than the Toronto police. And also, she may have inadvertently created reality television while making this, but we'll get to that. This is someone else's movie. Well, I think I was asked to pick um, something loosely related to the documentary that I made, Tramps. Um, Interesting. And initially, I thought, uh, you know, my gut instinct was to talk about Hail the New Puritan, um, which is a film by Charles Atlas, an American video artist and filmmaker not 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 a bodybuilder but um i figured we should make that distinction for the listener yeah yeah i always forget about that um but he had made a film for channel four in the 80s that was like a a, a pseudo uh documentary about a day in the life of the the choreographer michael clark who um is central a central character in in the movie tramps um, but thought it might be a bit too on the nose. So just <laughs> as soon as I thought of thought of the first, you know, most impactful music documentary, you know, in my life, I just my gut instinct was uh, Truth or Dare by Madonna because it's one of the films that I watch, you know, a number of times a year. Um, whether it be forcing it upon younger friends of mine, <laughs> you know, to give them some perspective. Um. Or, or just out of, you know, obsession and being able to to relive it over and over again. So, um, yeah, I, I guess I just chose it because it's it's sort of one of my earliest memories of seeing um, a documentary. I mean, especially of, of its kind because it was so groundbreaking. Um, and that, I think, still parallels a lot of the themes that that I have uh, going on in the stuff that I want to make. Well, and I guess that's, that begs the obvious question. How old were you? When did you first see it? If it was an early experience for you? Cause I mean, it was um, what, I, 1991. I was already. Yeah. So I was, I, so I was nine, 89. So I guess 12. Okay. <laughs> um, did you see it theatrically? Did you actually get to go? I don't think it? I saw it theatrically. No. And I'm not sure, I guess it would have been on the movie channel or something. And I'm not really, I don't actually remember the time difference from when things came out in the theater and and made it to like the movie channel or, or however I would have seen it at that time. Probably about a year, really. It seemed, um, it, it seemed urgent, that's for sure. Yeah, uh, we saw it under this huge cloud of controversy because we knew that... Um, it had premiered at Cannes, I think, and was was getting um, uh, blowback for being provocative mm. uh, in 1991, because this is still the Bush era, right? And America was in the, the first wave of, of its conservative Christian uh, Republican entanglement. 
And Madonna was so provocative. She was a provocateur. She hadn't, I don't think sex had happened yet. The book had, had not been published yet. No. But she was, you know, she was the one who wore her lingerie on the outside in the 80s on MTV and scandalized everybody. The kids today have no idea. I love saying the kids today, but they, they have no idea how little you had to do to provoke. Yeah. Um, just but the she fact did that a lot. she did a lot. <laughs> to yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and it was all over the place too. black men on crosses in videos mm. uh, for like a prayer. And I think it was, well, Papa don't preach obviously was a, a pro life was perceived embraced as a pro-life song, even though it kind of really wasn't, uh, it was more of a love song and it's, you know, it's no different from the doo-wop songs of the, of the fifties and sixties. It was just much more explicit in its, in its positioning. Yeah, I mean, I thought about it more as a pro-choice song, but um, yeah, that's a curious way to think of it. But mm. yeah, I mean, those things I didn't understand were kind of forming this, you know, perspective, you know, on me as like a kid. I had no idea like the depths of the content really. Um, and in terms of truth or dare, I mean, it is still pretty provocative. And <laughs> in a lot of ways, it's gone out of, you know, it's, it's um, maybe socially a bit um, dated, you know, in terms of, she says some um, unwoke things. Uh, sure, yeah. You know, just for the time and everything. But also, you know, um, it's still pretty shocking i think like the same as the sex book i mean nobody really went that far after after that you know i think that like you can see the effects of of her work in in pop music today and everything but if you go back and watch that documentary whether you think it's performative or or if it really is a sort of fly on the wall um uh perspective on madonna's you know interiors um, it's still totally debatable. And so things like, you know, performing fellatio on the Coke bottle and all that, or Evian, Evian bottles, right? Evian, yeah. Um, you know, it's still pretty wild um, and and hilarious and fun. And I think also the goofiness, um, the goofiness with which she kind of meandered through all that, that, controversial behavior in the actual movie is something that's really uh amazing about it something that's really unique about it um because there's not so much of a a barrier of as much as madonna is about you know this facade um there wasn't so much an on-camera facade developed at that time you know because of the internet or what or i guess kids these days can can let us know what but um you know, there still was a, a uh, um, a visibility there that that is pretty unique to the time. A candidness, you know, that however performative it is, is still unparalleled, I find. Yeah, it was really striking revisiting it to see the Warren Beatty sequences, you know, where yeah. he has his little tantrum about how you're on camera, you're on all the time. And they're like, what's the point of doing something if it's not happening in front of a camera? And the complete disconnect between that comment coming from him and him not understanding that he's been performing on some level since the 1960s in front of cameras uh, and directing himself, like just the, the, the sheer lack of 
self-knowledge in, in Beatty, which is something I have seen subsequently in, in interviews. I've, I've, I've seen him, you know, later in life, uh, at Q at Q and A's I've been, I was at the Q and A for rules don't apply. And he, he's just, this is a guy who's sunk into a box of a vision of himself that hasn't changed since 1974 and, and yeah. watching him confronted with the way things are going to be in mm. this, in this movie in 1991 is amazing. Um, because he just made, I mean, for, for context, he and Madonna had worked together in Dick Tracy and they were dating, um, cause that's his thing. And, um, yeah. it's icky and all, but he kind of trails along and for a certain, like for the older members of the audience that I saw the film with, he and Kevin Costner were the hooks. Like they oh. were the, they were the people they were more interested in seeing because this is presumably these, you know, candid walk-ons from their real selves. And yeah. you do get to see Costner's real self when he says neat and it's absolutely adorable because that is who he is. Like he, he has a, the vocabulary of a 1940s Midwestern person. Yeah. I was more on Madonna's side where, you know, it's more like, look. Yeah. But, but he's trying to connect with her, I think, in that moment. Like he's genuinely, he, if he didn't, like if he hadn't felt that, he wouldn't have said that word. He, he, I, I feel like that's a genuine moment that is also square, like incredibly square. And so she yeah. simply rejects it. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's kind of the power of something like that being created at the time. Her show, the, the Blonde Ambition Tour, mm -hmm. um, was that, you know, the, those are other artists and performers and they may be squares, but, you know, it's powerful that um, she can do something that kind of alters their their field of vision, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like his, his saying neat was probably sort of... Um, a loss for words, you know? Yeah. I don't think he had the language for, for what he was um, not seeing, but what he was experiencing in it. Yeah. Um, I have never seen, have you ever seen Madonna live? I have not seen the show live. Yeah. I have seen Madonna live and it's kind of a sad story. A lot of it is, you know, mm -hmm. 2023, we can say is root of the root of a lot of my trauma, personal trauma, um, blonde ambition. Uh, it w was happening in Toronto and my parents were concert goers and they would, they would get us tickets to the big concerts, but I, I don't know. I mean, my, my Madonna, you know, childhood obsession was full blown. So I don't know how one thing led to another. And we were in Toronto when she was playing, cause I'm from a small town. Mm. And uh, we were staying on Young Street. And I remember, I guess, because I was like, I guess, 11, because of while the movie was being shot or 10, who knows. But I remember standing on the balcony of the, of the hotel and like sobbing and breathing in the air and thinking, I somehow envisioning the city as like a dome and that I was sharing the air with Madonna. I really <sighs> thought that I was sharing the 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 air uh within the city um with Madonna but I was like absolutely crushed that it was not there and it only got worse you know as time went on because um of of truth or dare and and the concert itself being so like groundbreaking and you know it's 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 so crazy to think of now because of course the infamous like masturbation scene um and which I, comes just before like a prayer actually mm -hmm. um, and like a virgin and everything. And it, when I think back about it, songs like, like a virgin and how anthemic they were to me as like a, a child who, you know, I wouldn't say that came from any sort of 
sexually progressive background or anything. It's like a working class, small town background. So it's funny now. It's like when you when you see kids, you know, on TikTok dancing and singing to WAP by Cardi B, you know, and Megan Thee Stallion. And, and I was pretty mortified when I found out that my nieces knew that song. And without even considering it shocking, like when I asked them, they're like, yeah. <laughs> you know, and then you have to think like, I guess it's like, like a virgin. And, uh, you know, it's, that's really fun, you know, in context, you know, to put the whole thing in context. But um, I don't know, just the way it was packaged in that show, uh, it, it's, I still find it like gives me pause. And the fact that that famous scene in the movie that happens in Toronto where she calls Toronto, the fascist state of Toronto, and they actually tried to arrest Madonna, and she's just like, I'm gonna do it harder. And you know, <laughs> and thank God she did because it's such an amazing part of the of the movie. And actually, I don't know, maybe it, it simultaneously put Toronto on the map for me, but also um rooted it my existence here in a sort of shame. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it puts us on the map for the wrong reasons, right? For for yeah. being reactionary. It's like right around the same time when uh, June Rollins, I think it was, tried to ban the Bare Naked Ladies as a oh. concept because she didn't like the name. And <laughs> it, maybe it isn't the perfect name for them anymore, but it was at the time the sort of childish glee that they had in their songs. It sounded like it was an immature name deliberately chosen. Yeah. And if you don't see it and you immediately feel provoked it's i mean madonna's provocations are i think far more deliberate and and structured and part of the art right i mean it's it's the reason she does what she does but toronto was just in a really bad place at the time we were we were not handling our grown-up words very well yeah well i think the world was in a you know was sort of underdeveloped there was unprepared for everything that madonna had to you know to address the time trying to mature as an artist and addressing, you know, these ideas of like religion and her upbringing, her religious upbringing and all this stuff that seems pretty trite, you know, um, now, but I, yeah, like she would, the Pope tried to ban her. <laughs> that's something that's really joyous about the movie to me is the idea of, it's like when justify my love came out and I had to get my, my parents to, well, I don't know if I got them to drive me to Toronto, but I remember like you could buy the, you could only see it on VHS because much music wouldn't play it. And I bought right, it, right. I still own it. And, you know, my parents never like, I don't know, it was such an awakening for me, but it's not, not like her work awakened me to any sort of like dark sexual depths. I really, it's like your mind isn't ready to take in certain elements, you know, when you're growing up until it is. And so I didn't even, I, I was scandalized by Justify My Love, but uh, it wasn't like, it wasn't like it illuminated me to everything that she was talking about that I know now. <laughs> um, so, I, you know, I, I I guess what I'm saying is there's cancel culture now, but at the time you were just banned. And I think that because of Truth or Dare, it rooted this thing in in me like, oh, band that's so cool like that's like the ultimate that's like the ultimate um you know uh status compliment. Symbol, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like the ultimate camp compliment because literally you were too much for much and um yeah it really it really sort of forced a perspective i think 
on me as a as a child. Thank God. <laughs> I mean, do you think you would have turned out to be a different person without the influence? Absolutely, of- absolutely. I mean, oh, like you know, being a closeted gay kid in a small town, it's a total cliche, but, um, but absolutely it matters what you see, uh, in those times and what you have access to. And thank God my parents didn't censor me in a way that they didn't allow me to form my own opinions and, and, you know, they didn't shelter me from anything like that. And maybe they were just naive to it. They, you know, maybe they were just naive to like how far Madonna was going, but they couldn't be at the time because you did anything and it would be on ET for like weeks straight and, you know, it'd be on all the papers and, you know, it was, if you rocked the boat, you know, the ripple effect was, was massive. And it was oh, so, yeah. it was so easy to do that. But um, absolutely. I, I think that just like a lot of gay kids or queer kids or just whatever people um, probably latched onto that as a sort of as the unknown you know what I mean I don't even think it was about understanding everything that was happening in the movie um I don't even want to mention some things but there are some things that still I'm kind of like why did that happen Hey, it's Norm interrupting my own show to bring you up to speed on Shiny Things, my twice-weekly newsletter about physical media, culture, and the odd streaming project. This week, I wrote about John Wick Chapter 4, Criterion's glorious new 4K edition of the rules of the game, and the UHD release of Star Trek Strange New Worlds Season 1, because I'm a nerd. Sign up for a 14-day free trial at shiny-things.ghost.io, or find a link at the Semcast Twitter account. You like reading about movies? I like writing about them. Come check it out. There is a uh, an argument that this film is the first time because of its because of the scale of its release, the availability that followed on on tape and and the rotation on cable everywhere. This mm. is the first chance a lot of people had to see casual queer life. Yeah, in front yeah. of them. And you know the result is I don't know if you've seen the kind of response film Strike a Pose about her her dancers it came out like maybe five years ago oh yeah it was at hot dogs wasn't it it was at hot dogs yeah and um it's just the 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 guys the dancers um getting together and and talking about the experience and showing where they are now and it's you know it's really tragic because of course um some of them died of aids and um you know many are like sort of living in squalor and there's all this resentment against madonna that's obviously you know, um, you know, exponentially grown over the years because of this perceived neglect of them as soon as the tour was done, you know, they kind oh, of, see. And, and also the fascinating thing about that film is that there was such a hush around, around AIDS um, and Madonna's sort of being really brazen with putting that, you know, as a central focus on the show and tributes to Keith Haring and you know it's the early 90s so you know it, it was into the AIDS epidemic but still it wasn't commonplace for people to talk about that for so for her to put that at the center of that film you know um not knowing that a large number of the dancers 
were HIV positive or had AIDS. So she didn't even know that. So for them to be performing, you know, on that stage and like hiding that uh, must've been terrifying for them. And it is, and that's what they document in that, in that movie, Strike a Pose. So, um, you know, Madonna's, it's interesting, the, the, mise-en-scene like you know the claim to be mise-en-scene and and uh the the claim to candidness and and whatever truthfulness um in that movie is pretty it's interesting i don't think that it defeats the movie um in any way that of course she is um precise and plotting with her what she shows and doesn't show but you know it's obvious now that if you look at some horrific trends and following really gross families around on TV and stuff like that. You know, unfortunately we have Madonna to blame for that, but also there's a lot of nuance in, in reality television that, that um, I think it's still kind of artful. I think it's still really skillful to blur the lines between performance and, and reality. And, and yeah. And I think in a way that kind of, I think that as a person that shaped me to be interested in, in stuff like the new romantics that, um, that, you know, I'm talking about now. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I, I was trying to come up with an easy statement about truth or dare. Cause I always have to write the intro and the outro for these things. Uh -huh. And the one thing that stunned me reading it over, reading over the, the, just the full package of, you know, lists and notes and credits and things. One mm -hmm. of the cinematographers was Daniel Pearl, who shot the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, wow. I had no idea. Yeah. He was part of the camera team. And that feels like it must have been a deliberate. I mean, it wasn't, it probably wasn't a deliberate thing. It was just like, here's a guy who can do handheld and, and keep up. But it is such a weird, like, I couldn't find any interviews with him where he discusses it. But Wait, what year did Texas Chainsaw come out? 74. So this wow. is almost 20 years later. Wow. And he, I he, no, was, idea. no, no, he was, he shot the remake as well in 2003, but he was a journeyman. He just worked all over the place. Right. Um, but I wondered, like, it crossed my mind, like, does Madonna know that? Is this some sort of weird, like, cause it feels like the sort of thing that is deliberate, but it probably isn't. It's probably just a guy with, you know, like he was available in the right window. I don't know what the, the filmmakers relationship, like, it's it's rumored that he had like a sort of like a student film like a, a film he made in university or something like some sort of version of Wuthering Heights Kishishian yeah yeah I heard about that too yeah that Madonna had seen I don't know how or why she saw that but her music was in it so the story goes so either he wrote to her and she allowed it to happen or he came to her through lawyers but yeah, uh, he used the Kate Bush Wuthering Heights song and a Madonna track as well. I don't know which one, but that is supposedly how it how it got to her attention. Oh, I wonder how he how, came to her attention. Yeah, so I, I kind of just hearing that, I I thought maybe it would be through the the director somehow, but um, uh, because I also I know that Madonna doesn't really like garish or like particularly controversial things, like um, the Toronto filmmaker Bruce LeBruce, he mm. uh because he put her boyfriend, Tony Ward, in his film, Hustler White. Which right. I can't remember how the story goes, like if Madonna told him not to do it or, or what. Or, um, but it, you know, supposedly ruined his modeling career. 
but she, I guess he showed Bruce's films to Madonna and she called them like trash or porn or something. I don't watch this kind of thing. And then there's the sex book. <laughs> so it makes you wonder like, um, okay, you know, I, I don't know where these connections happen, but it's hilarious thinking of, uh, of how the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Madonna are connected. I would just love to know who who was the in-between. If Tony Ward was was that for Bruce and Madonna, I wonder who the in-between would be for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I cannot. I, I think Pearl is still around, so hopefully someone will ask him. Um, he also shot Alien vs. Predator, so you know, I don't have no idea. Maybe he just takes the job as it comes, but... Yeah. Um, what a bizarre subnote, right? Like to to this film specifically, because it is like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is messy and grotty and and beautiful to look at in a horrible, ugly way, and this is manicured within an inch of his life, much like the the sex book, right? I mean, there's a level of polish even in the lack of polish in Truth or Dare, where the thing gleams. In, yeah, and it's beautiful, beautiful to look at in black and white. The colors. Um, kind of turned into this wonderful monochrome palette. And you can kind of imagine what the Gautier costumes look like, but uh, it, it feels like they were chasing some kind of a Wiseman aesthetic, except not because people keep talking to the camera and, and she keeps talking to Alec off camera um, and, and involves us. But it, like, it's, it's a brilliant extension of her persona. It's the kind of thing Lady Gaga does now where you just connect to your fans through the camera all the time and yeah. make us... You know, we're implicated in everything that happens because we're the voyeurs, even in this unfocused, un, you know, quote unquote, unrehearsed documentary. Yeah. I mean, I can assume that. I haven't seen any Lady Gaga talk to anything, any camera or anything. <laughs> I'm being like, I'm like too defensive about the Madonna thing. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. In so many ways, in so many ways, in so many ways, pop stars or or at least. And that's something talking about the 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 division between like reality and performance of a character that I'm able to celebrate in truth or dare. And then, yeah, it would be a larger conversation. I think to talk about that and people like Lady Gaga and, and, and the, I can't even say the word, you know, the Kardashian moms, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and yeah, I would be challenged to sort of revisit my opinions about, that in the context of truth or dare in a contemporary sense, because I would have to kind of um, try and untangle my, my own sort of relationship with um, the sincerity that I demand from an artist, but also the um, disregard for, for it, <laughs> you know, it's such a nuanced thing. And I don't know how artists like Lady Gaga and that do that today because it all just seems so, manufactured that's the thing is there's something really special about truth or dare that sure it's obviously manufactured because it's madonna but there's there's a rawness there's such a rawness to it i can't say there's a rawness to it it's all you know rawness but maybe at the expense of of the people around her i think might have been something that maybe the the pop stars today don't do as much of uh (laughs) you know Mm. like just throw everyone around them under the bus for, for the um, purpose of, you know, audience stimulation. <laughs> yeah. It does feel that way, doesn't it? I mean, everything is, 
managed on multiple levels now because everything has to be what is it managed through the verticals i think is a phrase i've heard recently where you know like everything has to be your tiktoks and your socials and your and your box office and your records and you know like the product is the least important thing it's how can you monetize further aspects yeah. of the product right like so madonna i think mean, madonna got it right she was um she was a straight line the product was always her yeah and the thing is is we're talking i think that whole verticals thing is about broadening the market so like i think that artists have less and less room to say anything now you know like when you're talking about anything controversial i i can't i don't know if lady gaga has done anything controversial um but well i mean the accent in house of gucci that's about it oh yeah yeah her yeah her incredible lack of talent in that regard and so many others um or just like lack of inventiveness, I guess. There's no like invention happening there. But it's funny that that they it must be a struggle to find that balance of trying to to broaden your audience and seem like a seem like a multifaceted artist. Um you have to say less and less. Where at the time Madonna did the exact opposite. Like controversy was was the way you broadened the the scope of your, you know, of the the gaze. Um on you so i don't know i know that's kind of like a okay boomer sort of thing (laughs) but like i i don't know it's what makes it raw and exciting is the fact that you know she could take out her boobs and 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 it'll and it would get her more trouble but it would only make us love her more or just people would watching you know i think she always used to say any press is good press i think a lot of people have said that but you know um I don't think that's the case anymore. <laughs> I feel almost like any press is bad press, you know, for certain pop stars. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, everything is open to not just misinterpretation, but sort of deliberate misinterpretation uh, because yeah. there is some some element of the world now that exists only to eat, only to like destroy. And sometimes it's warranted and sometimes it's just not. And it's been, I think, bad for expression in general, because now people are second guessing themselves and wondering who gets to tell whose stories. And some of that is really valid. There's been like that movement uh, towards authenticity is absolutely essential. But Madonna appropriating things in the 90s to draw attention to them and make statements about them at a level that only she could is something you can't ignore, right? Like that's, that is sort of culture warrior stuff on its own level. Yeah. Well, I mean, Madonna, you know, you're speaking about the casual gay lifestyle or whatever. Um, you know, she, the casual depiction of, of, depiction yeah. of yeah, like she um, had a huge falling out with her dancers because of that, because they were terrified once they were showing, you know, just their hanging out and kissing and playing truth to dare and like really, really like silly stuff. Um but she's outing them to their families, potentially. Yeah, potentially. And and just their careers, which they're obviously hoping to grow because of this experience with Madonna. And, um, but in the same turn, she completely revolutionized our relationship to, to um, the queer community, to the gay community, and, and the visibility around that in so many ways for the worse, probably. But like, just in terms of like horrible television shows and stuff that resulted but um you know bringing it into the home and to to kids like myself where it wasn't palatable it wasn't like something 
that she did to make it seem like gays are normal. You know, this is normal. She, it was, it was still provocative and, and shocking and it wasn't trying to, um, you know, gentrify the whole, you yeah. know, sacred queer experience or anything like that. She was, in fact, it was kind of like, a, it was like a deification of it, but just into people's homes. And um, yeah, I think it's really revolutionary for that, even beyond the conversations around um, HIV and AIDS, just literally like when she shows the pride parade and, you know, that's such a crazy impactful scene where she, they just record the silence at the pride parade. And it's, it's like, I think it's showing a side of that, you know, of that time period in a, in a really stark and powerful way. Um, so, you know, that's, I guess that's, that's the complexity of it and like the nuance of it that I guess is still so palatable when you're, when you're watching it every few months. <laughs> That's great. I'm so glad you mentioned the Pride Parade. I was trying to figure out how to get there. But yeah, no, that that is absolutely. I remember the theater just hushed, stark, quiet, wondering what was going to happen. That, that strange, flat energy in that moment. Wow. It was really powerful. Um, this is the bit where I usually bring it around and ask you uh, if there's anything from the film you chose that has influenced you, or if there's anything you've flat out borrowed, stolen, uh, referenced. Is there, I, I could really see it in Tramps, but is there sort of a, a pull that you took from Truth or Dare to, in their no, work? I don't think that in, in Tramps, but I mean, I didn't even know that I would be making films. You know, I made, I made one that was just an attempt to like package um, a kind of obscure band uh, into something that I could share, you know, like, um, and then this was sort of just a personal, um, like a personal, I had a vested interest in this wealth of like film and, and art that was produced around this period of time in, in London. But I think that the, the relationship is like what we were talking about before where, um, you know, when I watch movies like Tramps or, or just think about my, how I ended up being interested in it, it's because you know, I'm speaking to these kind of sometimes freaky people, you know, or just trying to, when I was trying to show the focus of the film to my family and stuff like that, you know, you feel like it's a picture of yourself and like, you know, whatever happens on camera and some super eight film from the eighties, you know, it's a reflection of yourself, but I'm, I was very much like a wallflower in, in that experience, like going out to clubs and, and, you know, doing quote unquote research for the movie and, <laughs> and, I guess what I'm trying to say is it, it did put the instinct in me to want to see the sort of underbelly and the freaky side of things. And um, I guess make the choice about whether to engage or, or, or just to observe. Um, but definitely the urge to observe like um, the, let's just say diversity in character, <laughs> you know, of people and being able to kind of celebrate it. And even like, you know, going, moving to a city and, and becoming an out gay person and um, all of the splendor of riches that, 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 you know, sometimes underground um, community can provide, you know, I think that it, it just kind of gave me the uh, foundation um, to start looking around at, at the sort of more 
you know, fun sides of life. <laughs> and, uh, and it's great because um, you can still spend a lot of time at home and enjoy it. <laughs> I guess that makes any sense, but that's, I think, I don't think, I mean, I would love to get to the point where I, I would love to do a big, you know, budget movie with a pop star and follow them around. And cause I have spent so much time with bands on tour and everything like that. I would love if that became something that I could look at specifically and kind of mirror and make a, and make my own version of a truth or dare. I just wonder who could ever merit, you know, that kind of, that kind of attention. My thanks to Kevin Heggie, whose new documentary, Tramps, has a special Pride screening in Toronto this Thursday, June 22nd, at the Hot Dogs Ted Rogers Cinema, with Kevin, Kat Duma, Jeffrey Hinton, and Weird Alice in attendance for a panel discussion afterwards. Thanks also to Brian Robertson. He knows what he did. You can find Kevin on Twitter at TheKevinHeggie, that's T-H-E-E, Kevin Heggie, all one word, and you can find Madonna Truth or Dare on Blu-ray and DVD from Paramount Home Entertainment in the U.S. and Alliance Video in Canada. It's also available to rent or buy on various VOD platforms. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner, and you can find this podcast there at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at someoneelsesmovie.com. The first year of the show is still available for just 20 bucks at payhip.com Semcast. That's the first 52 episodes of Someone Else's Movie, 44 of which aren't currently available anywhere else. And check out my newsletter, Shiny Things, at shiny-things.ghost.io. I think you'll enjoy it. Our theme song is by the last year. If you like it or the show in general, please say so. Leave a review wherever you've been listening. Every little bit helps. It truly does. And check out the other shows on the Frequency Podcast Network while you're doing that. Stay safe. Watch movies. Wear a mask if you go out. Get your booster when you can. I'll see you next week. <laughs>